the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sport in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Mop and Financial Advisors, and Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. Now, your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. I hope you're having a great day out there. You know, we're a week away from Christmas uh, here in Southern California. Well, yeah, about a week away here. And I just want to come to you guys and wish you all a Merry Christmas after some of the terrible things we've had that have happened here in San Bernardino and Redlands and some of the other areas. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, Joining me in studio, I have some great guests. I have Neil Perkins. Neil is a founder of Safari Land. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I have Dave Maupin, longtime friend and aficionado from Maupin Financial Advisors. He's here with Color Commentary. Dave, welcome. Hey, thanks so very much. And I have Tom Cutler, Tom Cutler Cutler Insurance out of Redlands. Um, he's here because he's just an awesome guy, and we like to have him around. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> That'll be $5. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Folks, um, this weekend, you know, we just, we've just had on Friday, uh, Obama came out and... and and did the, the scenario out here with San Bernardino. But this is what has happened here. This this terrorist tragedy that has happened in our area uh, has hit a lot of us very close to home. I mean, everybody that I know knows somebody in the story who was there or was a friend or a neighbor. You know, somehow this hit our little community so hard that it, I wanted to, to talk about this with Neil Perkins, founder of Safari Land. Because one of the major parts of your business, and we'll get to more of it later, but major parts of your business is protection. That's correct. For law enforcement. And we witnessed a lot of gear out there protecting our law enforcement that you're responsible for. Yes, Safari Land really was the first company that manufactured uh, concealable body armor for police. And LAPD was our first major customer. But it goes into more than just body armor. Oh, it does. It does. We have hard armor. We manufacture all types of uh, holsters and accessories. Everything virtually that a police officer uses, we're involved in, in manufacturing, except we do not make any any offensive uh, products uh, like guns or anything like that. But we, of course, are the largest manufacturer of holsters. And, and which is absolutely awesome because here's a supporting industry that's come alongside um, and, and by not manufacturing your own firearms, you're able to come alongside all the other manufacturers, whether it's Glock or Beretta or Smith & Wesson, and create products specifically for them, for law enforcement, for defensive uses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, any boom in concealed carry sales? Yes. Every time we have these kind of incidences, as you know, we see an enormous acceleration in the sales of firearms, and we get involved with that. Uh, we're probably Glock's largest uh, holster supplier. Well, um, aren't you everybody's largest holster supplier? Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. That's a great, great stuff. Uh, okay, so we'll we'll get more into Safari Land and and how that started. Um, 
after this, I do want to do a little bit of, of news for us folks here as far as events that are coming up. Now, obviously, it's Christmas. Uh, December is also, ladies, December is Buy Your Husband a Gun Month. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's an official holiday for the entire month. December is Buy Your Husband a Gun Month. Uh, one of my friends, I posted this on our Facebook page at Fireline Radio Show, and he said, mm-hmm. it should be Let Your Husband Buy a Gun Month, to which I corrected him. If you have to beg, you don't get a gun. So that's just the way it is. So December's buy, buy Your Husband a Gun Month, and we're going to leave it at that. Uh, after Christmas, now coming up in, in February, the Friends of the NRA are having quite a few events, so you want to get involved with this. Uh, February 6th, Desert Communities, they're going to have one. You can find out more at friendsofnra.org. Uh, February 10th, we're going to have a sporting clay shoot out at Rohagi's. This is special. This is for the Protect the Harvest group. Protect the Harvest is an uh, organization that's doing everything they can to promote really a a wholesome way of life, whether it be if you're raising livestock or whether you're hunting, but they're just a great group. They're backed by Lucas Oil. Um, Forrest Lucas has done a great job with that. They have fought the Humane Society on many, many fronts. So February 10th at Rahagi's, we are going to be out there for a sporting clay fundraiser for them. We want to make sure we promote that. February 13th, day before Valentine's Day, San Diego is going to have theirs. And then February 27th, the Inland Empire, 6 o'clock in Riverside, is going to have their Friends of the NRA dinner, so make sure you get that on your schedule. Okay. My, my work is out of the way. We can start having some fun here. Um, Neil, I, I met you at a fundraiser for the Children's Hospital of Loma Linda. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and we got to talking at the table. We had a really good discussion, and the story was so interesting. I thought it would be fun to share, and I know that everybody, when they... When they hear some of these special people I get to meet and hear their stories, that's everybody's favorite lesson. So, so let's go with the story of Neil Perkins. Um, just before we went on the air, I'm trying to make him blush. Am I working yet? No, he's working. Okay. Um, good. Just before we went on the air, you had said that in 1955, you'd started your own little business as a teenager, became pretty successful with it, and you decided to sell it and go do something else. And what was that? Well, when I was growing up, um, I was my father's great companion in his hunting adventures. He was a very avid hunter. And so um, my whole career up to that point was going with him and, and having fun shooting um, mostly uh, upland game. And where did you grow up? In San Gabriel. Okay. Mm-hmm, locally. But my father used to drag me to South Dakota uh, <laughs> during the winter to shoot pheasants and and uh, it was a great life, uh, a lot of fun. And uh, in 1955, I had an opportunity to uh, go around the world. And my father and I spent about three months in Africa. Now, when, when you hear the story, I had the opportunity to go around the world. Most of us think of, you know, well, somebody just had a silver spoon. But this is actually a company, as a teenager, you created and then sold. And then with the proceeds, decided that at age... I was 18. At the wise old age of 18, it's time to travel the world. So that's, I think that's a proper way to say that. So where was your first stop? Well, we went uh, uh, to Europe and spent about two or three months in, in Europe. My sister was, uh, was then living in Europe. She was at the Sorbonne, going to college. And uh, then we traveled from there across to Africa uh, through the Middle East. Uh, got to be in, in Jerusalem at a time when the transition was happening there. Uh, very interesting. 
and then on to uh, Alexandria, Cairo, down into Addis Ababa, uh, and then down into uh, Ethiopia, uh, and then Uganda, and that's where our safari started. So you didn't do any hunting until you hit Uganda. That's correct. Which now, in 1955, Uganda was a completely different place. Yes, that's pre Idi Amin. It was just he was just beginning to rise. Yeah, pre genocides. Uh, yes, yes. So what was it like? I mean, we in, in the 1950s. Well, actually, from the 30s to the 50s, Africa was kind of a magical place where you could go and have these safaris, right? Yes. So what was that like? Well, the, the gentleman that uh, we went on the safari with was formerly a, a colonel in the British Army in India. And uh, he wanted to start a new guide service in East Africa. And so we went there with the idea of, of opening new territory that had never been hunted before. So we went from Uganda into Tanganyika, into Rwanda, Urundi, um, the Belgian Congo area, on a river called the Kigera, and went to areas that no one had ever seen a vehicle, had never seen a gun. Um, it was indescribable the way that people would react to you because they just had never seen even a white person. So entirely different thing that you can imagine today. Um, we uh, we explored that area. We even built rafts to go across rivers with our Land Rover. And uh, <laughs> now that's a trusting that's a trusting day when you're going to cut down enough. To, to talk about that a second, that's a huge. Well, what we would do is uh, the Kikara River was a fairly large river, and uh, we would cut down trees and and just uh, lash them together with uh, whatever we could find. And then drive the Land Rover on them, and we would swim across the river with a rope, and then run a cable across, and then uh, just simply propel this this raft across. Who got the job of being the crocodile bait? Because every <laughs> river I've seen in Africa, I want no part of. Uh, that wasn't my job. <laughs> <laughs> there was about fourteen in our group. And uh, after every river crossing, there was thirteen. <laughs> then there was twelve. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> That sounds like an awesome trip. It was unbelievable. To do that at, at, a, at a young lady like that was just unbelievable. Kind of set the whole focus or, or a mindset going forward. It did. It did. Uh, the company that we did, that this gentleman started, we, we called Safariland. Safariland Limited. And so and many years later, when I started my company, that's what came to mind. And that's why I named it Safariland, because my background in, in shooting was in Africa and the big game hunting. That's awesome. Folks, this is Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. Uh, check us out on our Facebook page, Firing Line Radio Show, or online, firinglineradio.com. Here with Neil Perkins, Dave Maupin, and Tom Cutler, and, and hearing the story of Safariland from the beginning. We'll be right back after this. A message from Vince at Bullseye Sport. Bullseye Sport thanks the many families who have allowed us to provide them a firearm that helped them protect their home this past year. Before you shop for your personal protection firearm, I encourage you to come on down to Bullseye Sport in Riverside and speak with me, Vince, the owner, or one of my many good people at the store. You will receive a welcome and an educational experience that will help you feel confident and comfortable in your firearm purchase. Bullseye Sport wishes you and your family a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and to have a safe 
holiday season. Give the gift of protection with a stocking stuffer or gift certificate in any amount from Bullseye Sport. Use your AM590 mobile app to enter to win a bucket of bullets, 1,400 rounds of 22 ammunition. Download it for Apple or Droid and click on the Bullseye ad to enter. No purchase necessary. Bullseye Sport in Riverside, 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. Pull! Whether you're a gold medalist or new to the sport of shooting, you'll love Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, where Olympians shoot. Prado's shotgun facility is world-class, offering trap, skeet, and five-stand. And the pistol and rifle ranges are safe and enjoyable shooting environments with professionals there to answer all your questions. Are you an experienced pistol shooter with an itch to take your skills to the next level? Discover the sport of practical shooting at one of the monthly events. Prado hosts ISPC shooting events open to the public every first and third Sunday with Prado Running Gun Club, blending accuracy, power, and speed with challenging multiple moving targets, penalty targets, and obstacles. Prado Olympic Shooting Park is a great place to teach your whole family about the safe and effective use of firearms. Bring the whole family for an exciting day at the shooting range. Call Prado Olympic Shooting Park at 909-597-4518. Online at shootprado.com. 909-597-4518. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line Radio Show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! That's right, folks. It's Boomstick Radio. Philip Neyman here, Firing Line Radio Show. And as always, I wanted to mention our sponsor, Vince, the owner of Bullseye Sports, Guns, and Ammo in Riverside. He wants to stress the importance of firearm safety in usage. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for hunting, home defense, or target shooting, it's important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. Vince highly recommends you attend a certified firearm safety and training course, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essential to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense, and with that right comes an obligation to educate yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. I wholeheartedly agree. For more information on their certified firearms courses, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside, 951-823-0211, or visit their website, bullseyesport.com, for a schedule of classes, because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, they believe in safety first. 951-823-0211, 951-823-0211. In fact, take a look out when you uh, go to his website. Take a look. We're going to create a series of videos about how to purchase your first gun, what to think about, safety features, cleaning, and. Uh, we're going to produce those for that, so it'll, it'll be helpful. It'll be a nice, nice little content uh, for you to check out. Vince, thank you for your sponsorship. Folks, once again, as we're sitting here on a fine Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning, as you're at your leisure, I want to uh, introduce Neil Perkins here with Safari Land. We were just hearing the story of how he started Safari Land. We have Dave Maupin, Maupin Financial Advisors, and Tom Cutler, Cutler Insurance of Redlands. are good friends of his, and we're talking about the founding of really an industry giant, and where you got your inspiration from. And as we uh, as we cut to the last commercial, you had just cut down some trees to create a raft to float your Land Rovers across in the middle of nowhere. At age 18. At age 18, yeah. And I imagine they didn't have chainsaws. No, they did not. <laughs> no, we had a large axe and a large person. And a file. Yeah, that's right. Keep that thing sharp. That's right. No, the... Uh, 
the experience was just in, incredible to describe today because uh, Africa was a very different place. There certainly weren't any issues with uh, uh, any, any of the animals being in jeopardy as far as their, you know, the, it was poaching was not a problem. It was a whole different world. Now, that's an interesting point because we hear from the anti-hunters all the time that hunters are the problem in Africa and they shouldn't be able to bring uh, elephants back here. But the poaching is the issue. Back in those days, in the 1950s and up until the mid-70s, most of these areas had strong game management units where the, the elephants were a cash crop for the country. Once they became socialized and they put corrupt generals in charge, they didn't care anymore. And they would rather take money for ivory or let the, the poachers come in and use. So it wasn't the sport hunters at all. Sport hunters put their money into these units mm -hmm. that was used for conservation and the preservation of these animals. But the country structures changed and wicked people got involved. Back in those days... Um the licenses for taking an elephant or lion or rhino, they were very expensive. And it was, uh, it was not a cheap sport. <laughs> no. And the hunters virtually supplied all the funds for game management. And it was done well. And it was very highly regulated. Because it was a business. They, it was. they wouldn't let you shoot out all the animals because they have no money next year. It was in their best interest to have a healthy population. Game management was very well done then. We, that was not an issue. We uh, we managed to uh, accumulate just about everything you can think of. Um, a lot of animals that I'm sure a lot of you have never heard of. But it's uh, was there a favorite one in, on that trip? Well, we of course did a lot of, uh, of shooting just for for our own camp. Um, every day we had 14 people, and so uh, we would shoot Impala. Uh, we shot uh, Sitatunga at one time. We shot. Uh, uh, virtually all the camp meat, reed buck, uh, um, congoni. Um, it's hard with no refrigeration, right? Yeah, that's right. Every day we took the animals we needed. Well, you know what uh, the African word for vegetarian actually just means bad hunter. So <laughs> you you have to eat every day. And and the symbol for Safari Land is your Impala. That's correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful animal. Yeah, they are. And I brought back a beautiful species of that. And when I decided to to start the company, it became kind of our icon. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what an impala is, it's a very common animal in Africa. It's one of the, the major herds you see out there. They're, but they're very small. They're very petite, aren't they? They are. They're probably, I would think, about 85 pounds. Yeah, so like a that. little bit smaller than a pronghorn antelope. And they have a, a spiraled horn that goes up and kind of back in and... Just very graceful, beautiful yes. animal. And to yeah. watch them run is amazing. Yes. They're the ones that jump 40 feet at a time, right? They are. Very cool. Okay, so we, we're in Africa. You're coming back in. What got you going into starting your own company then? Well, um, that was quite a few years later, uh, about 10 years later. Okay. Uh, my father wanted to go back to Africa. and uh, So you had to create another company to do that. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> he used me as his gopher, as a lot of parents do use their children for. And I was, uh, and no matter what he needed, call Neil. So uh, going back to Africa, he, he gave me a call. And he said, Neil, I need this very, very special rig made. Uh, Roy Weatherby built me a couple of rifles. I've got a three seventy five Magnum and a three hundred Magnum, and I've got a little K-22. 
and I want all of that incorporated into a into a gun belt to to take to Africa. So he said, "Get that made." And uh, I, of course, had no clue. So that's when um, I, I just searched around and I found a, a young man uh, that was on a police department in Monrovia named John Bianchi. And um, so John and I designed and manufactured this this special rig for my father to go to Africa. And doing in that process, we became friends. And uh, I had been in the advertising business and sales promotion. And I thought that John could use a great deal of help in the way he promoted his product. And so... And he was making police holsters at the time? He was making holsters. Uh, he was kind of a Western gun f- fanatic. Yeah. Uh, he, he loved the Western look. And uh, so that was his that was his side. Even though he was law enforcement, it was a kind of a Western style and was sportsman. This, was this pre-good, the bad, the ugly? Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, John and I decided to kind of formalize this his little company that he had uh, working out of his garage. And uh, we were immediately very, very successful. Uh, my advertising and background helped a lot. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the business was much larger than John could support as far as manufacturing was concerned because he was a police officer. So I learned to manufacture and I wound up being the manufacturer for a while because, again, we were making, we were selling way more than we could make. Uh, John and I were both entrepreneurial types, and we had very different ideas about how to run a company. Neither one of us was wrong or right. It was just simply we were different, and we started butting heads and decided that it'd be best if we split up. and And uh, John took the company at that time, and. Uh, I was enjoying it so much, I decided to start over again in my garage and just uh, start a new company. Wow. So that's where Safari Land came from. And here in Monrovia or the San Gabriel Valley where you grew up? It was in Monrovia. In Monrovia. Yeah, I was actually in Sierra Madre, and that's where I started in my garage in Sierra Madre. Did you ever hunt those local mountains right behind you there? Not really. Yeah. Well, they're, no. they're very steep and nasty, just full of rattlesnakes <laughs> in case you didn't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not a lot of fun. Um so you started your own company then. Now, was your focus still on the Western? My focus was on sportsmen. And uh, that's why the name Safari Land. The, the things that I, you know, my, my coins with the guns was simply from a sportsman's perspective. I was a friend of Roy Weatherby's, uh, I, circulating in those groups. And uh, so the things that I originally designed were like rifle slings and, and uh, hunting holsters and simple things like that. I still have a... When I turned 18, I, I used to work at a gun store in Glendora. Buckhorn Guns was mm-hmm. the late 70s, early 80s, some, sometime in that range. And so when I turned 18, uh, people have heard the story before, but my teenage rebellion, my mom was absolutely anti-gun. So my teenage rebellion was I got a job in a gun store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just cheaper than smoking dope. Anyway, so <laughs> we did that. And uh, I never liked that stuff anyway. But... Um, I, uh, on my 18th birthday, the first day I could, I bought my 270, and it still has the Safari Land Elkhide sling. Is that right? Yeah, I still have it. It's hanging up. It was, next a, to it was a green one with a yeah, with the green backing on the other it, side. It did yes. And, yes. and my my Smith Wesson 586, my turn 21, still has the tan and the green Elkhide inside leather on that. We're talking a long, long time that ago. That was a long time ago. And these things still are working. Wow. Good, good products. Folks, this is Philip Naiman, Fireland Radio Show. I'm 
I ran myself out of time there. Uh, we'll come back here with Neil Perkins. We're talking about Safari Land and the stories of, of how he built this business. And we'll be right back after this. Are you an expert marksman looking for a clean, safe place to shoot? Or maybe you've never shot a gun but want to learn? Well, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range is the best place to work on your shooting skills, no matter what your experience level is. With 21,000 square feet of indoor range space, 35 shooting lanes, and an electronic target retrieval system, it means no line breaks and more trigger time. The friendly people at Riverside Indoor Shooting Range can answer all your questions about firearms training, self-defense training, firearm rentals, gunsmithing, archery, and more. And for the ladies, the Riverside chapter of The Well-Armed Woman meets there the second Tuesday of each month for women of all experience levels. Looking for a great holiday gift for the shooting enthusiast in your life? During the month of December, get 10% off a full year's membership or 10% off any gift certificate of $40 or more. Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. For directions and info, log on to RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. That's RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range and CCW Safe. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! That's right, folks. It's Mulan Labe Saturday. This is Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on our Facebook page, Firing Line Radio Show, or online at firinglineradio.com. Now, for those of you who still haven't figured it out yet, if you go to firinglineradio.com and you hit the subscribe button on the SoundCloud where all the podcasts are, and you get the free podcasts, then when I'm giving away Hex Mags, which I am right now, you're probably going to be one of the guys who has a chance to get them. If you don't believe me, ask Charles Guest. He just got two of them. Um, so we're giving away Hex Mags. It's a great magazine. It's a 10-rounder, a 10 by 30. So if you go and you subscribe to our website or to my podcast, you may be included in the drawing. Um, just saying your chances are far greater if you do than if you don't. And if you don't want to do that, then don't complain. So anyway, folks, this is Fireline Radio Show. I'm here with Neil Perkins. We're talking about founding of Safari Land. I also have uh, Dave Maupin and Tom Cutler here with me. Uh, guys, chime in anytime. Want to make sure you're uh, you, you know, uh, we have to announce you on the air to substantiate your alibis for today. So that's that's what we're doing here. I appreciate that. Yes. No problem. Thank you. See you and Tommy there? Yes, I see. Am. See Julie, he is here. Yes. Okay, folks, Firing Line Radio Show. Uh, Neil, we were talking about your group, how you started to build more things for the sportsmen, and well, as sportsmen, a lot of firearms that you're working with were target guns, and so you'd have very larger structured front sights, and that kind of created a problem for you in the holster business. It did, because I was being asked a lot by people that bought very expensive guns that had the very blade sights, uh, tall sights, to manufacture a holster that had a soft lining. So I tried various things to uh, to do that, doe skin and other things. I wound up with using uh, elk um, hide, which was a, a way of tanning a, a leather that, that eliminated the tannic acid so it didn't attack uh, metal. And, and so what would happen before is guys riding with his gun in his holster all the time, it would wear off the finish or pit the gun. Exactly. So what I wound up doing was it does designing and, and inventing and actually patenting a product called a sight track. And it was a little guide in the front of the holster that allowed the sight to ride in it without touching the lining because those sides would just rip the lining out. 
And uh, in doing so, I wound up with a holster that had a, a side feature that I hadn't even expected. And all of a sudden, I found out that law enforcement was buying my holsters in great quantities, especially LAPD. And what was that feature that the sight track actually gave your gun? It, it prevented someone from immediately grabbing a gun. When you grab the butt of a gun, uh, you create a torque, I don't know, quite a leverage, and that sight would dig into the track, and it would lock the gun in the holster. Only for somebody trying to take the gun from the side, not when you were wearing it yourself. It was very easy to draw. But all of a sudden, I found my sales were, were definitely headed in the law enforcement direction, and, and it was because of that feature. We were post-riots, uh, uh, police officers, about 80% of the time when they were shot, they were shot with their own gun. Someone was taking it away. Uh, so all of a sudden, I had an answer to that. I had the world's first security holster. The world's first. So in the late 60s, I mean, they, they simply didn't uh, exist. We look at somebody now, I mean, you see a policeman, he looks like RoboCop, where he's got a thumb break over the top, and there's several different types of retention that really, uh, a crook going for his gun has got to be in his exact position, or he's not going to get it out of there by design. Exactly. Um, but in those days, it didn't. I mean, the guys were carrying a six-shooter, and it was just uh, the holster of like a bucket. You just drop it in. <laughs> maybe a thumb snap, maybe not. It was very, very easy to take a gun away in yeah. a conventional holster. But, or in uh, a fight. Exactly. Yes. So mine, all of a sudden, was uh, extremely effective and uh, gave that officer a split second to, to react to someone taking their gun away. So uh, we, we became very law enforcement oriented almost immediately. And, and so all your sales started going that direction. Now, you also started, like you said before, the beginning of this program, you're looking for protection, defensive yes. You're here for defensive uses for law enforcement. Where else did that take you? Well, you know, our, our kind of company motto right now is we save lives. Uh, that's the direction we've headed uh, to date with our armor alone, and I'll get into how that started. But uh, we have saved 1,932 lives. I'm sorry, how many is that? 1,932 as of this moment. You actually have in your company... Uh, offices, you actually have the safety board with that po number posted. We do. We do. There's a large bell in every one of our offices. Uh, we have offices in Canada, Mexico, and about eight or ten in the U.S., and uh, about 2,500 employees. And every time a life is saved, uh, a bell rings, and people show up at that bell, and they learn the story about what just occurred. And everyone would recognize that number within our company, because it's where we focused. It's it means it's what they do is important. And uh, that all started in the early 70s when I was playing with, uh, with uh, Kevlar, uh, which was originally developed by DuPont for tire cord to replace steel and nylon and uh, rayon. And um, I found that it was very effective at stopping bullets. And so uh, I wound up... Uh, How did you come up with that? You just found it was a tough material or what what was your thought process on that here's a tire i wonder if it would stop a bullet <laughs> well the vietnam war um produced quite a few uh, uh new, new products innovations in armor and ballistic nylon was the was the one that uh, was most flak jackets were made of and it had limits as to what it could stop it was about a 900 foot per second limit uh, I started making a, a ballistic vest out of nylon, which was good for the you know 45 or 38 or something right. like that, but it wouldn't stop anything very much greater than that. And in looking for a solution, I just stumbled onto Kevlar, 
uh, as I say, DuPont had just invented it for tire cord. It was very strong. And uh, all of a sudden, it gave us a window that was double what it was prior with ballistic nylon, about a 1,600-foot-per-second window. Which basically covers all pistol rounds. That pretty much handles it, clear, clear up to the 44 Magnum. Uh, that's about the max of the old travel. So um, all of a sudden, we had a viable, concealable, thin, wearable product that really worked. And uh, LAPD was our first major customer. They bought 5358 <laughs> Was that a good day? That was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good day, and, you know, 2,000 lives saved later. That's when we began counting, um, and uh, we've kept track of that all these years. And that's where we come with this 1,932, and that was just as of last week. About once every 12 days, we save a life with the armor. Yeah, which means that a police officer was shot. That's correct. His life was saved. In a ballistic incident, and, and sometimes it's a car crash. It's not always mm. ballistic. Oh. But the life, uh, we, we document all that, we research it, and then we certify it as a save. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, <clears throat> your industry, Safarland, has become quite a large industry, from the Monrovia garage to the Sierra Madrid garage to, uh, I think he started building in... Monrovia, you had an office before you went out to Ontario, right? That's correct. Yeah. So you're, you have a very large, beautiful office buildings there in Ontario. I got to tour a few months back with Scott Carnahan. Tell me a little bit about the story of Scott. Um, Scott's been with you. He's been on my show several times. Um, enjoy him a lot. Got to shoot with him and Rob Latham up at Big Bear. That was wow. Just- amazing to watch those guys work but in 1985 he started working with you i guess he's your second longest employee at this point in time and uh he's too modest to tell the whole story but would you give you your view of this well scott started working for us when he was 18 or 19 years old and uh he came in as a uh, he was a motocross rider and and still is (laughs) to his own detriment yes yes he's an incredible athlete and he'd been with us for some time and had graduated from one department shipping to the next thing, to the next thing. And in about 1981, I think it was, um, I brought Scott into my office and I, I asked him if he would like a new challenge. And, and he said, okay, what's that? And I said, I want you to become world-class shooter. And uh, you've got the kind of hand-eye coordination, that kind of talent. Uh, to do this, and uh, I'll back you 100% with whatever you need to become world class. And uh, we need someone in the in the office here that is gun handling ability. So Scott uh, accepted that challenge, and he did become world class. Through the process, um, Scott Carnahan and Bill Rogers and and Rob Latham and the whole team uh, were formed, and we called it uh, Team Safariland. Um, the industry accepted that dramatically, and it's been a very successful thing. We used it like a, uh, a demo. Yeah, well, you know, it, it helped us a great deal in developing new products. We could accelerate the aging on any of the locking systems we were making, uh, any of the holsters that were, that were complicated and complex, the materials that we were using and all. Uh, one of those team members would shoot more in a day than most people would shoot in a lifetime. And so it, it helped us a great deal in developing product, and 
and in uh, testing the products that we were manufacturing. And, and as you said earlier, you started with Bianchi, then you both went your separate ways. Yes. Bianchi started the Bianchi Cup, yes. and which was great that they created a, an award that you guys could win every year. That's right. So, <laughs> so, so Inspiring Line Radio Show, uh, we'll be right back here with Neil Perkins, Dave Mopp, and Todd Cutler, and we're going to we're going to finish up the show here talking about where Safarland's going from this point forward, some of the challenges, and some of the great things that you're able to do. We'll be right back after this. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. They offer membership plans for concealed carry permit holders, and if members are involved in a use of force incident, CCW Safe provides expert witnesses, investigators, and the best defense attorneys in the U.S. Yearly plans range from $99 for a single membership to $150 for a dual membership, and special plans are available for law enforcement and military. Members are required to have a valid concealed carry permit and must maintain their permit. Visit ccwsafe.com today. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line Radio Show is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and by Moppin Financial Advisors. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Hey folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Welcome back. We're here with Neil Perkins, Dave Moppin, Top Cutler. We're talking about Safari Land, some of the different things that... Well, that you've invented and moved on and kind of created the story. But, you know, unfortunately, for those of us here in Southern California, uh, we actually got to see, you know, we talked about this in the first session, but we really got to see a lot of what your protective gear does, the saving of lives in action here. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. It, it gives us a great deal of pride to uh, to see our equipment. Uh, I. <laughs> Whenever I travel anywhere, uh, my wife is always wondering, why are you looking at that police officer? And I'm always evaluating what he's wearing. Um, but our, our armor and our products, uh, I don't think that you could possibly, uh, 85% at least of all of the uh, equipment a police officer wears today is Safari Land equipment. Uh, we definitely dominate the industry. We have 26 companies that we've acquired over the years that do all kinds of of issues, um, we, we manufacture what we call less than lethal. That's tear gas and uh, other issues like that. We have forensics, we have hard armor, we have anything you can imagine that you might need as a police officer. But the San Bernardino situation, actually, I was I was out of the country at the time and I saw it on TV. And the first guy I spotted was John McMahon, who's a really a personal friend of mine. John he's is a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful. Wonderful guy, and incidentally, our San Bernardino uh, Police Department, as well as San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, handled that thing magnificently. Absolutely, I never heard one negative thing, and I shouldn't have, because they did a magnificent job, and the the the, the personnel that were interviewed were outstanding. Um, you couldn't have handled it better, but their challenges are just beyond what we can conceive of as individuals um, and, and all the anti-police stuff that's going on 
it's going to make it that job that's just that much worse. Definitely unthankless. <clears throat> yes. You know, he, he came to a CCW meeting uh, last week and was able to speak for a few minutes, which was gracious with all the things that are going on. He was able to spend that much time. And John McMahon, for those of you who don't know it, he is a great sheriff, and he is so Second Amendment friendly that it makes uh, Los Angeles look like a communist state. Um, if you have your CCW application, you know you need to get it in there to him because they are looking for good people of good character to approve to carry. That's his standard is good character, and um, it's refreshing to hear that as opposed to the sheriffs in San Diego, you know Bill Gates who has to be sued, or Los Angeles who says they won't give anybody the right to defend themselves. So again, uh, our hats are off to John McMahon. He's a great sheriff, and we're very lucky to have him in this county. Well, I've been very, very deeply involved with that department for a lot of years. I've been a reserve sheriff for many years, oh. and um, I have quite an aviation background as well. I've been a pilot for um, 50 some odd years. I've got 11,000 hours flying, and it's been a big part of a building safari land, actually, was to take my airplane and go where I needed to go to to uh, deliver, in many cases, products when they were needed in a timely way. But I've been on the Aviation Council for San Bernardino and uh, was involved in buying their helicopters. And, and so that's been a lot of fun, too. But I've gotten to know John very well through all of that. Yeah, he, and, and his team was excellent. And San Bernardino PD, I mean, they stepped up. Redlands PD, all, yes. all these guys, they were just awesome. So, I mean, let's take a typical SWAT team member. Um, let's start at the top of their head. Do you make the helmet? We do. We, we do have uh, helmets. Uh, we, we, of course, manufacture both their hard and soft armor. Hard armor, of course, is designed to, to stop uh, rounds up to 3,000 feet per second, you know, the two, two threes and, and all the rifle rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, soft armor has, as we discussed before, about a 1,600 feet per second limit. Uh, then we're now, and this is very, very interesting, is we're now uh, deeply involved in body cams. And the body camera field is wide open and uh, has lots and lots of issues that need to be solved. The biggest problems are who turns on the camera, when do they turn on the camera, and why wasn't it on? Uh, Those are interesting issues. And because we manufacture all of the products that a police officer wears, we're able to integrate integrate that. Yes, we can... can, uh, uh, create a holster that uh, automatically um, turns the mic on when the gun is removed. We can do that with a cuff case. We can even do it with uh, uh, monitoring stress to turn it on. The biggest problem is that if you leave it to a police officer to turn it on, what's he going to be doing first? Is he going to be taking his gun out and defending himself, or is he going to be turning on a camera? So he's not necessarily going to have it on when it needs to be turned on. we're, we're playing with a lot of technology right now that will allow us to do that with what we call preview. And uh, we bought a company in, in Seattle uh, called Vview that is one of the world's uh, best manufacturers of cameras for that purpose. And so that's a giant challenge for us because virtually in the future, 80, they, they claim about 80% of all police officers will have body cams on within the next two years. I think you're going to see more and more of that, especially with the knuckleheads that are out there burning down Ferguson and whatever else. You know, 
uh, facts be damned, they're going to go ahead and and, and riot. Yeah. And what I've seen is that most of the cases, when they review the police footage on a complaint, there was nothing to complain about. You know, oftentimes the police camera footage vindicates the officer over and over again. Oh, oh definitely, so, definitely. So it's a defensive. Again, it's a defense of the the, the officer's life uh, against vicious lawsuits or accusations that simply didn't occur. The challenge is to try to to video why the incident happened, and uh, so you need a preview of what right. happened. So it leads up to the incident that's then in question, and that's what we're trying to solve right now. And and I guess one of the issues might be civil rights of the officer being recorded 24-7. Oh, all of those issues. Yeah. And the storage. Can you imagine uh, all the, like, like San Bernardino Sheriff has like 2,000 guys out there every day uh, recording. And, uh, and you don't how know do when you you're store all it. that? Yeah. yeah. How do you retrieve it? What are the, what do you want to be the protocol for, for retrieval or for editing? It's really a complicated process. Skynet. <laughs> The Terminator 3 all over again. Uh, it's it's amazing, complex situations that we live in. And I think we have a society that blames police officers first and lifts the victim, so to speak, lifts the perpetrator up to victimhood status uh, almost nine times out of ten. When the, the truth finally comes out, you know, the police officer did nothing wrong. He's still... His name's been drugged through the mud forever. He didn't do anything wrong. And, um, you know, this is one more way you can actually help defend him. Do do you know why uh, we had in Chicago here, they finally released the video. But why did they wait so long? I mean, what is, I guess just a political issue with Chicago, right? That would be my guess. Yeah. Well, the timing was political. Yeah. Yeah, that's never let a, a good crisis go to waste. I think is the motto of that particular mayor in Chicago, Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, speaking of which, is why we have Obama here this week. But never let a <laughs> good crisis go to waste. Unbelievable. So what's what's going on in the future here? Let me get off of that that downward spiral of uh, <laughs> everybody blinks twice. <laughs> Every and, and let's talk about the future of Safari Land. What are some of the new things you got? The body camera going on, but. What other areas do you see that uh, you'd like to expand into? The body camera is is enormous. That is probably equal to almost to everything else we're doing because it's going to be a huge issue. Uh, the, the budget for that is going to be, have to be enormous. Uh, it's estimated that uh, it could cost as much as $50 per man per month just to maintain that system. Because of the storage and the wear and yes. tear? Yes. The equipment itself is not that expensive. Comparatively, but uh, the retrieval and storage of that equipment, of that data, is going to be huge and ongoing. Um, virtually anything that arises in the way of, a, of an issue in law enforcement, we're going to address. Uh, that's what we're here for, and we like to think we're good at it. Um, everything we, we do, we do the best we possibly can, and our people are dedicated to do that. And that's why we have the programs we have internally, where that any time an incident occurs, everyone's notified. Because they, we want to make sure they understand how important what they do is. And I've I've seen that. I mean, and actually at your at your location here in Ontario, 
you know, I saw pride in everybody that was in there working. I got to walk the floor and watch them make some holsters. Uh, it was just, in, which is interesting in itself of how this flat piece of metal gets formed and shaped and everything, or leather, I said metal, gets formed and shaped into, into these different designs. So it's quite innovative. I want to thank you for your service that you've done and your innovation in the saving of 1,932 lives so far. And uh, I know you'll save many more in the future. Neil, thank you for being my guest today. And folks, this is Fireland Radio Show. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. I enjoyed you guys in the studio. And guys, have a great weekend. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week. Thank you. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sport in Riverside. The Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Mop and Financial Advisors, and Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. Riding one horse open sleigh, dashing through the snow, in a one horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way, bells on bobtails ring. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.